First Peter five. So we're gonna go we're gonna go back in time today. Because originally this was the sermon that was scheduled for June fifth, and that didn't happen. So Jason was able to speak on verses five, six, and seven last week. And so you got kind of a, a, a pre-taste of what was to come. Now we're going to go back to the beginning of the chapter and hear a Peter's instruction to a different group of people. Jason led you in understanding what Peter's instructions were to the church, specifically in regard to the elders among them. And so today we're going to go back and look at what Peter says to the elders. But before we even get there, I just want to kind of point even further back to when Caleb led and he preached... Uh, back in verse 19, and he asked a striking question that I just want to bring up and remind us of before we move into our text for today. And it's just this. Do we demonstrate love for one another no matter the circumstances around us? Because I think if we look at the theme of what, we're, what we've been studying in First Peter, suffering is still kind of the underlying theme, even in chapter 5, as you start talking to, to church elders and church members. It's all in the backdrop of suffering. How do we demonstrate love for one another? Elders, body of Christ, in the church, no matter the circumstances. Because, guys, the time may come soon when there's a lot of people really hard off. And we're going to have to show love to one another in the church. And I'll just echo what Jesus says to his disciples before uh, the rubber hit the road for him in his crucifixion. But he, he said, look, people are going to know that you're my disciples. How? By your love for one another. The time is coming when we may need to demonstrate that more. And some of us may be suffering in the midst of it. And the question that Peter kind of alluded to in the text that Caleb preached over was, have we entrusted our souls to a faithful, trustworthy creator? Have we done that? Only when we've done that are we able to love one another in the way that we're being called to. Okay, When we suffer according to God's will, God does something unexpected possibly. Because if we've all experienced to some degree suffering in this life. Whether it's a physical ailment, whether it's an emotional problem, whether it's a relational conflict or something like that. We've dealt with those kinds of struggles and God uses them in ways in the moment that we don't see possible. In the moment where it's, it's right here and it's hard to see around it and get past it. But then we see eventually in God's goodness and grace, we see how he uses even our sufferings as his people to point others to God, to Jesus Christ. It speaks to the ungodly and the sinner, Peter said. So he transitions from that idea, preparing for suffering in the church, back to kind of exhorting groups of people. And you'll remember back in chapter 2 and 3, you can glance there, Peter was giving instructions to certain groups, to, to citizens, uh, how, how you relate to governing authority, to employees and employers, to husbands, wives, and then also to church members. And then he comes back to another group in chapter 5, and it's, it's elders in the church. These are verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. And you may be tempted to think, I'm not an elder. I'm not going to be an elder. I don't need to hear this. Well, I, I, would, I would stop you and say, actually, you do. And here's two reasons. Every one of us needs to understand what's expected of elders because, number one, men, God might call you to this task one day. He may call you to this task. If you love Jesus, 
and you love the church as he does, God may call you to the office of elder, to the function of elder one day. Secondly, we know that God calls each Christian to relate to the leaders in the church properly and in particular ways. We talked, Jason talked about that last week. There's a way that we love one another and we serve and relate to one another. So let's look at the text and then we'll get into it a little more. Chapter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as fellow, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Would you pray with me? God, I, I, I pray that you would enlighten our minds as we've prayed for fathers that we need to ask and seek out wisdom lord as church members this morning we need the same we need wisdom and we know that it comes from you when we ask and so lord we ask that you give us wisdom into your word today it's it's not it's not a pastor's word it's not rod's words it's yours and so we need to take it from you and learn it as you would have us lord and so i pray that everything that we discuss, that is mentioned, Lord, would point back to Christ, the chief shepherd, Lord, and that uh, we would grow in love for one another as a result of what we understand in the text. In your name we pray. Amen. So depending on what version you're reading this text from, you might get a, a different word for the word elder here. And in fact, in the New Testament, The word elder is used kind of interchangeably for several other words that we have in the English. It's all the same in the Greek. And here they are. Elder, bishop, overseer. Okay. Those, even along with maybe one or two more, are used kind of interchangeably, especially throughout the New Testament, for the same function, for the same office of elder. They, we would kind of use the term pastor. Now this is, this is actually a big deal. This was a, a big deal at our convention this past week in some of the motions that were brought, some recommendations by boards on defining and understanding the term pastor. And so I just, as we talk this morning in God's sovereignty, we're talking about that term today at length. And so I just want us to understand from God's word what that word means and refers to. The Greek word for this is presbyteros. You can see where we get some of our other words from that. And we see this term of elder used often in the book of Acts. You don't have to turn there, but if you think back to the beginning of the early church, what was it, what was happening? Well, believers, it was just explode, the church was exploding. And Peter, Paul, the apostles, they understood this. They were just a hand, couple of handfuls of guys. They couldn't lead all of these thousands and thousands of people. And so God, through the Spirit, instructed them to instruct churches to establish elders. Paul tells Titus in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, that elders should be established, elders plural, should be established in every town according to the qualifications that he lays out there in Titus 1. Elders. I I, I do want to point out, though, just take a kind of side note here and point out that nowhere in Scripture... 
does the CEO style of pastoring show up? It's never taught. It's always a plurality of leadership from Old Testament Israelite structure of leadership to the church structure in the New Testament. It's never just a singular pastor calling the shots for obvious reasons. One of the most is Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. This is no surprise to you. Your pastors sin. All sin. So when we concentrate power and authority in one person's hands, well, you can see the potential for disaster. Unfortunately, these are the kinds of stories that you hear on the news, that you read in the Pathway magazines, that you see in the Twitter feeds. In fact, most recently, we've seen it happen within our own denomination. Men who use their positions of authority to manipulate, mislead, and sometimes even abuse the people they are called to lead. Shepherd. So, the one guy at the top model is not biblical. It lacks proper accountability and it fosters pride. And so Paul tells Titus, he says, look, establish elders, plural, multiple pastors who shepherd. So you can, you can probably tell that we hold to the traditional Baptist belief that the Bible emphasizes two offices in the church. Elder and deacon. We understand that these offices are different and distinct from the gifts that God gives to members of the body. And this is important, like I said, because this came up in a debate in our convention this week. So a couple of years ago, several years ago, we looked at length at the office of elder when we preached through first and second Timothy and Titus. And then when we ordained Rusty and James as deacons several years ago in 2019, we talked about the office of deacon and what those those roles function as. So just to be clear, abundantly clear this morning, our church holds to the centuries old position that the office of pastor elder is to be accompanied by men. Specifically men who meet the qualifications based on the criteria that's laid out in Scripture. Remember, the office of elder, though, is not defined by the age of a man, but by his character. It's exactly what the first couple of verses, specifically verse 2 and 3 of chapter 5, show. The work of a pastor is not like the work of a CEO over a Fortune 500 company. It's not like... Sports coach. The work of a pastor is not like a military commander, even though you can draw some correlations from those things into how uh, pastoral leadership can look. But there's a responsibility that's described differently in Scripture for a pastor than any other position. Different than a CEO, different than a sports coach, or anything like that. Hebrews 13, verse 17, points that out. To the members of Christ's body, the author there says, keep watch, that the leaders keep watch over your souls. Leaders of the church keep watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So this idea of keeping watch, 
from Hebrews 13 is exactly the same idea as what Peter says about elders being shepherds here in chapter 5, verse 2. And so you're going you're gonna to hear me use the term that Jason described as under-shepherd often this morning. And there's a reason because, yeah, it's also pastor-elder but verse 2 designates these guys as shepherds. But then verse 4 tells us who the true chief shepherd is. So calling pastors, elders, under shepherds just hopefully clarifies any misunderstandings about who's in charge here. Okay, But from the government to our homes to church life, I don't know if you feel it, but it feels to me like it's more and more challenging to not be skeptical of those who lead, right? Sadly, as I already mentioned, there are too many examples of why this is the case. And no leader is perfect. That includes elders in the church. And yet God has called leaders to a high standard. Elder, shepherd, teacher. In our world today, and in Scripture, as we'll see in Second Peter... We see the presence and the reality of good and bad leaders. We're called to watch out for the bad ones, and we're called to honor or submit ourselves to the good ones. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1, Peter will say, There will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. We need to watch out for this. For these kinds of people teaching these kinds of things. And yet, in 1 Peter 5, elders are called to shepherd well, and church members are called to be subject to the elders in the church. That's a sad reality that there are bad, even, dare I say, corrupt leaders, even in the church. But the presence of bad leaders doesn't negate our responsibility to listen and submit ourselves to the good and faithful ones. So, brothers and sisters, when you see a good and faithful pastor, shepherd, leader, follow them. Not them as a person, but follow Christ in them. And may we be so familiar with the truth of the word of God that we're able to discern the difference between a good and a bad leader quickly. So to be an elder is to serve and lead the church body through the preaching and teaching of the word, to be devoted in prayer, and to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So our our under-shepherds, our pastors, our elders, our sheepdogs, as Jason said it, this here at Ramsey Creek are Mike Capps, Caleb Brown, Jason Hamilton, and myself. So in a very real sense, I'm preaching to myself today. Okay? Seriously. Uh, But I'm also preaching to my fellow elders, my faithful co-laborers in Christ. But I'm preaching to all of you so that you can see and identify the qualities of good leaders. Because you need to know. Now look at verse 1, chapter 5. Peter identifies himself as a fellow elder. He says, I exhort the elders among you. So he's, he's got this challenge For the other elders, he's as a fellow elder, so he is considering himself an elder. And then he kind of lists his his job references, if you will. He says, uh, here's why he can consider himself a fellow elder, because he's witnessed the sufferings of Jesus. And he's a partaker in those sufferings. 
but also in the glory that is going to be revealed. So think about Peter's life. Peter endured persecution and suffering because of the name of Jesus. He saw it, but he experienced it as well. He was there at the Mount Transfiguration. He was there when Jesus was resurrected. He saw him. Jesus restored him. He was witness to all of these things. It's because of those things that he goes on to give instruction to other guys who bear the same title. And so it's kind of like Peter saying, listen, guys, your elders and leaders of the people for whom Christ suffered and died. I saw it. I saw him suffer and die, but I also saw him resurrected. So because of those things, you know, you can listen to what I have to say and trust it. He's able to give instructions to other elders. So here's what he says to under shepherds in the church. I'm just boil it down as, as condensedly as I can. He says, number one, shepherd the flock of God among you. Number two, exercise oversight. Number three, be examples to the flock. It's not complicated. And really, I think you could kind of put all of those under the first thing. Shepherd the flock. All of them fall into that category. And I love that the word shepherd is both a noun and a verb. So we could say shepherds, shepherd. That's a complete sentence. It's really weird, but I like it. Shepherds are called to shepherd. That's what we do. To understand what shepherding really means, we need to consider what shepherds do. So think back to biblical times. I don't have a lot of experience with shepherding and sheep, but I I understand this to be true. In biblical times, shepherds spent a lot of time with sheep. Think about the announcement of Christ's birth. Where did the angels go? They didn't go to the homes to find the shepherds. They went to the fields where the sheep were, and they found the shepherds with the sheep. Shepherds spent a lot of time with the sheep. They knew the sheep. We find out in a lot of different places, especially the Old Testament with David specifically, we find out that shepherds protected the sheep from wild animals. David saved his sheep from bears and lions. Amazingly so, as just a little scrawny teenager. And yet this is what shepherds are called, to protect the sheep. Their rod and their staff, they provide that protection. But a shepherd also uses his staff to direct his sheep. So he uses to protect them from danger, but to direct them, as Psalm 23 says, to streams of living water, cool, calm waters. So I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but I got to imagine as Peter is writing this to under shepherds, that he's got those last few words of Jesus rolling around in his mind. When Jesus restored him and he asked him three times, do you love me? And Peter said, of course, you know, I love you, Lord. And what did what did Jesus respond to him all three times? He said, tend the sheep, shepherd the flock, watch over them, care for them. So the the task of a shepherd. Of an elder is to shepherd the flock of God, to protect the sheep, to direct them to safety and to feed them properly. Peter uses the term exercising oversight as an overseer or as an overseer. Under shepherds are to do this. They're they're supposed to watch over the sheep. Now, this doesn't mean 
that your el- that elders of this church are scrutinizing your every move to find faults in you. That's not what this means. It's not what watching over means. It means that an elder watches over the flock in love in order to properly nourish the sheep. So my job as one of your pastors is not to make sure that you know all of my personal opinion on things. My job is not to make you know exactly what Rob thinks about everything that's going on in the world. My job as one of your pastors is to make sure you know what God thinks. That's my job. So the under-shepherds here at Ramsey Creek, we don't want to feed you our opinions because that's not going to nourish you. We don't want to feed you even the, the Baptist faith and message, though I think that that's a really helpful steering document for us. You could never know all the words in that, and I'd be totally okay with that. What we want to feed you is the Word of God. Think about Jesus in the wilderness, or in the desert, rather. Fasting. Satan is coming to him, offering him nourishment. And what did Jesus respond? No. Not not that kind of nourishment. That's not what I need. He was fed by every word that came from the mouth of God. That's what you need as well. So we want to guide you to that, to that food, to those still waters of nourishment in God's word. Because if our churches are being fed anything other than every word that comes from the mouth of God, they will be anemic and sick. If I preach my opinion more than the Bible, I have forsaken my calling as a pastor. And if, if Jesus can be sustained by every word that comes from the mouth of God, why would pastor elders begin to, the church, begin to think that the church needs anything else? So it's interesting to note, in thinking about this, remember, Peter was openly rebuked by Paul in Galatians chapter 2. Remember, he was... He wasn't um, keeping in step with the gospel and how he related to some people. And Paul called him out on it and told him as such. Now, that rebuke didn't disqualify Peter from the job of, of preaching and teaching. But it certainly woke him up to the truth that he needs to preach the whole gospel, the real gospel, not the one that he was being pressured into preaching and living out. So, brothers and sisters, pastors, co-laborers in Christ, we need to watch one another in our practice, in our doctrine. And, and when appropriate and in an appropriate way, we need to call one another out to continue living and keeping in step with the gospel. And then in verse 2, so he adds exercising oversight. And he says, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. This is where I think the true heart of an under-shepherd begins to be seen here. Elders in the church, pastors, they shouldn't be men that have been coerced into leading. You may think, well, that's not a... that, That doesn't happen. I've seen this happen. Sometimes, mostly, it's under the umbrella of of good intentions. You know, well, there are no other men who can lead, so you can do it. Um, 
You know, they, that person's been a Christian for a long time, served in all these other ways, so of course this is the next step. That shouldn't happen. That's, un, that's compulsion, and Peter says, no, not under compulsion. Now, this doesn't mean that no one can ever be asked to be an elder, but it does mean that no one should serve it as an elder who God hasn't called to that task. One commentator I read uh, said, none of God's soldiers are mercenaries or pressed men. They're all volunteers. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, that if anyone aspires to the office of an overseer or an elder or pastor, he desires a noble task. So just because a man desires that doesn't automatically disqualify him by any means. In fact, it says it's good. It's a good thing. It's indeed something to aspire to, to aim for. But the purpose is not self-promotion. It's not financial gain. It's serving and feeding the flock. Peter adds, he says, not shameful gain in verse 2. So I want to challenge you guys to think just for a moment. Think, because I bet you can think of at least a dozen pastors that you've interacted with in your life that hopefully are still in our community now. Guys who you know personally lead and serve because God has called them to that task, not because they make a lot of money doing it. I'm sure that faces are popping up in your head, and I praise the Lord for those pastors. Ramsey Creek is not the only church in our community preaching the gospel, and I'm thankful for that. There may be a few pastors, though, who pop into our minds that are on the other side of that, who you may think, man, it's sure, based on the what they get paid and what kind of cars they drive and what they do with their money, it sure looks like they could be in it for the financial gain. And truth be told, there are guys who are. Those are some of those who we need to watch out for. But Peter says that elders should serve eagerly, not greedily, not under compulsion, but, but eagerly, willingly feed, protect, nourish the sheep with the word. There are some who seek roles in the church for personal gain, and that could be um, financial gain. It could be influence in the community. This can't be the reason for pursuing leadership positions, though, because when it is the reason, we get what too often we've got. Pastors who follow the biggest paycheck from church to church, or they follow the biggest following in order to please their own Ego. This is not what our churches need. It's dangerous, in fact, for the church. And I think that's why Peter explains in verse 3, elders can use their positions to domineer over the flock. It happens. It may even be a temptation of leadership. They shouldn't do that. Instead, not domineering over the flock, but instead, what are they to do? Be examples to the flock. A leader with a domineering attitude will inevitably make the environment toxic for everyone. Because this isn't God's intent. That goes for the home, that goes for your workplace, and certainly it goes for the church, too. I love the way Tony Merida explains this in his book. He wrote a book called Love Your Church. I think it's written just as much for for the pastor as it is for a church member. In it, two leaders, he says this. He says, Christian leadership is not lordship. 
It's about laying down your life, humbly following Jesus and inviting others to follow you as you follow him. Pride, manipulation, intimidation, power plays, these things have no place in pastoral leadership. So you've heard the old phrase, do as I do or do as I say, not as I do, right? Basically, we just call that hip, hypocrite. Hip, hip, what's the word? Thank you. Hypocrisy. That's what that is, right? You're saying you should behave one way, but I, I'm not going to be held to the same standard. And this is, Jesus spoke very harshly to Pharisees who did basically the same thing. Can't be this way. It can't be a different set of standards for those in leadership and those under leadership. Because Peter says elders are supposed to lead by example. Fathers, on this day, there shouldn't be anything that we ask of our families or those in our care that we are not willing to do ourselves. And that goes from changing dirty diapers to cutting the grass to doing the dishes to mopping the floor. If we're going to ask our families to do any of those things, we as leaders need to be willing to do them as well. Was that about the dirty diapers? Or I put in my time doing dirty diapers. Elders lead by example. That is, it's a really simple phrase. It's not always so easy to live out. Uh, here's one of the reasons why. Elders, pastors, leaders have to strive for being good examples. Now look at verse 4. This is chilling in some regards. The chief shepherd will appear. That's why. Mike, Caleb, Jason, and I, we don't, we don't serve and lead the church for shameful financial gain or to look good in somebody's eyes. We seek to serve and lead well because the chief shepherd is coming. I quoted from Hebrews thirteen seventeen a few minutes ago. We seek to serve this way because the chief shepherd is coming and because when that happens, we will give an account for how we've led. We will give an account for those in the flock here at Ramsey Creek. And that may not mean that much to you. You better believe that means something to us. Uh, just kind of a, let me just interject a side note here. Um, this Hebrews thirteen seventeen, shepherd the flock among you. Um, this kind of phrasing really is the basis of why we emphasize meaningful church membership. Because if, if your leaders are being told that we're going to be held accountable for you, we need to know who you are. Right? That makes sense. And if you say you're a part of our church, we need to see you regularly. We, need, we want to be with you together as the flock. And so membership is important. It's vital, in fact. Elders, shepherd the flock among you. Seek to live as examples to the flock. I heard a, a pastor say that the sobering fact is that pastors are examples to the flock whether they realize it or not. And I think most pastors do, but sometimes we can get in these mindsets that aren't right and we fail to see that. And then we start to think like the Pharisees, 
Do as I say, not as I do. And as Paul rebuked Peter, we need leaders who can stand up and rebuke one another when needed in appropriate ways. Our prayer, my prayer especially as as an elder, is that we are examples to the flock. We're examples not of, of arrogance or pride, not of it has to be my way or it won't work, but instead that we're examples of of someone who leads you to, to deeper love for God, a deeper love for one another, a deeper love for the lost outside of these church walls, and someone who desires more and more of God and more and more of his word. By our example, we want to show and lead you in those things. So it's important for guys like us to realize that we lead Jesus' sheep. Okay, Peter's already said, you can flip back there and look in First Peter chapter 2, look at verse 25. He's already identified who the chief shepherd is. He says that Jesus is the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is not the elder's church. This is not Rod's church. This is Jesus' church. You are his flock. Elders are simply under shepherds serving under the command of the chief shepherd who we realize is coming again. And that's our motivation for leading well and for being an example to you all. Now, it's a good reminder for you to hear and for me to hear that Jason and Mike and Caleb and I, every pastor, elder here and in our churches, we're church members too. Right? We need the grace of God just as much as any of you. It feels like probably more sometimes. We need that. We're just as responsible for, for using our gift in the body to, to grow and bless and edify the church. We're just as responsible for working together with you all to accomplish the mission of Jesus. And together with you, we look forward to the glorious coming of Jesus Christ. We're with you in this. We're members of the body just like you are. We rely and depend on the saving grace of Jesus just like every other sinner who's saved. Look at the end of verse 4. Peter mentions, he talks about the king that is coming, the shepherd that will appear. And he says that elders who serve and lead faithful at the end, they will receive this reward, this, this unfading crown of glory. It's a crown. Notice the reward of the faithful under shepherd. It's not power. It's not money. Right? It's not power that could be domineering over the flock. It's not money that we could seek for financial, shameful financial gain. The true reward of faithful elders is a crown that never fades. You guys have seen movies, uh, have seen, you know, his, historical accounts of some of the early Olympic games, right? A lot of them were, were based on running and speed and strength and that sort of thing. Who can tell me what did a champion receive in early Olympic Games as the prize. Anybody know? It was a crown. What was it made of? Olive branches. So in, in the first Olympic Games, they weren't giving out gold and silver and bronze medals. 
the, there was usually one clear winner, and that person received a crown of olive branches. Now, that's cool and all, but what happens to a crown of olive branches? It dries up. It gets brittle. Eventually, no matter how careful you are, it fades away. It dissolves. It's just gone. The word Peter uses here is the same kind of word he used. In fact, it is the same word he used back in chapter 1, verse 4. When he's describing the believer's inheritance, it's the same word that he says about the crown for those who, who serve well. He said it's an unfading crown. Just like it's an unfading inheritance for God's people. So as an elder, I want to be able to look forward to the coming of the chief shepherd. Without guilt, without shame of how I've led, how I've served. I want to work hard to shepherd and nourish the flock that's here until that day. Knowing that the reward isn't something that just fades in the end. Something that endures. It lasts longer than Certainly an olive branch. This honestly helps keep leaders going. When it's difficult, when the seasons are tough, when it seems like we're walking through muddy fields and our boots are getting heavy, remembering this unfading crowd that's waiting for those who serve well is motivation. Maybe not quite as much as motivation as that the chief shepherd will appear and that we're going to be held accountable for how we lead, but it's motivation. It's good. Because there is no doubt the chief shepherd will appear. He's coming. So in the meantime, as we wrap it up this morning, while we wait for that coming, that chief shepherd appearing, elders, are we shepherding the way that God calls us to in his word? There's honestly very little left to the imagination regarding leading the church. Are we doing it God's way? Church, of whom we are members Are we relating to one another, to our under-shepherds, the way that God calls us to? Last week, Jason preached on the verses after this. And I want us to notice the same thing that every church member, every leader, every elder is supposed to clothe themselves with in verse 5. Chapter 5, verse 5. What is it? Somebody say it out loud. What is the thing that we are all supposed to clothe ourselves with? Humility. Humility. So when it comes to how we relate to one another in the church, humility is the common thread. That's the theme that ties us together. I hope you can see that there is a very real and and urgent need for you to pray. For the under shepherds who God has called to serve and lead among you. We need your prayers. We covet your prayers. It's really, honestly, kind of hard for me to put into words how grateful I am for the other under shepherds here. For Mike and Caleb and Jason. They lead me and challenge me and hold me accountable. I learn from them all the time. They encourage me in ways that they don't even realize it. And You know what? The truth of it is, so many of you do so many of those same things for us. And we are so grateful that God has put us here, put you here with us. It's not a burden. We don't have to be compelled to lead and to serve here. Because we're confident we're pulling in the same direction. What a joy it is to be a part of a church that does this. 
Verse 6 and 7 that Jason covered last week, they remind us that we can humble ourselves before the Lord and one another and cast all of our anxieties, cast all of our cares on him because we're confident that he cares for us. And he cares for us in giving us leaders that point us back to Jesus and nourish our souls. We're confident that he cares for us because he's shown it ultimately in the sacrificial giving of his son. In him, in Jesus, we have forgiveness of sin and reconciliation to the Father. And you can be welcomed into this kind of relationship by putting your trust completely in Christ, by humbling yourselves, just as we've been called to do. Brothers and sisters, family. This is a family. I hope you guys understand that. Nikki and I have been here for 19 years this, this June, this month. And you all are just as much family as our blood family. And it's, it's a joy to, to walk through uh, life together, to, like we said, the shepherd spends time with the sheep, to visit you in your homes, for you to visit us in our home, uh, to get together for riding bikes or playing frisbee or eating popsicles or studying the word of God or counseling when life is difficult. It's a joy for your pastor, elder, under shepherds to live this life with you. I hope you understand that. And I hope by the grace of God that we set the proper examples that we're called to set. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're not going to get this right every time. And yet you have called us to relate to one another in a way that is not easy, but it's always right. And so, Lord, when we don't get it right, when as church members and as leaders we don't do what we ought to do, Lord, I pray that you would restore us quickly, that you would help us to love one another, that we would relate to one another in humility, recognizing all under this knowledge and assumption and truth that the chief shepherd will appear. He's coming again. And Lord, I pray that you would help the elders among us to lead well. Not lording it over, not for shameful gain, Lord, but in humility. And as church members, that we would relate to our leaders in the same way. In humility. Lord, and so that as uh, one leads and the others follow and support and give uh, guidance to, Lord, I, I would pray, God, that you would be glorified in this church. Not just in the way that things are set up, Lord, although that is important, but in the way that things are applied. The way that we love one another and the way that the world sees that we love one another. May you be glorified. So, Lord, humble us one to another, Lord, but ultimately humble us before your throne so that we might partake in that unfading, incorruptible inheritance that's there for us in Christ Jesus. And so it's in his name that we pray. Amen.